It is time for midday once again here on a Tuesday, and I am joined by Susan Littlefield and Jason Jorgensen and Bob Brogan. Well, we think we'll eventually be here as we get things going here on the Rural Radio Network. And I uh, take a look over to Susan. What's going on uh, in your neck of the woods today? Just a tad bit of rain. And I don't think there's going to be a single farmer complaining. It's been pouring on and off since about 6 o'clock this morning. So we'll take the precipitation, that's for sure. Yeah. Even had some red on the screens. That that means some good stuff. Well, we've got some things happening up. Speaking about weather, coming up at 1219, Alex checks in with a public meeting that took place yesterday in Utica on the hail system and storm that moved through on August 6th. So extension educators will talk more about what producers can expect as they deal with these crops and they get ready to be harvested this year. At 12.45, another update with Clay as it's part two of the York's Ag Education Program and learning about some future plans as to where this program is going to be headed down the road. And then at 1.17, Bryce will catch up with the interim director of the Rural Futures Institute. Dr. Connie Rearns-Hild will share her vision of a vibrant rural America. So a busy day from the farm team. All right, very good. I tell you, after listening to Bryce's uh, thing on the uh, ag education program in New York, made me want to go back to high school. That sounds so interesting. Isn't it absolutely crazy the things that these kids get to do nowadays? Yeah. It's it's awesome. Hats off to all those ag teachers because they go the extra mile. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Susan. Appreciate it. Jason, uh, the Lady Huskers uh, defending national champs, and they don't appear like they've lost a step, according to the Big Ten. Well, if you listen to Coach Cook, you know they have no chance. <laughs> That's right. He's <laughs> um, plays although he... He is right. They do have some big parts they have to replace. But uh, the preseason Big Ten rankings came out today, and the Huskers are uh, favored to defend their Big Ten title. Had they not been picked, that kind of would have been a bigger story, place, maybe. Uh, yeah, right. And, and they're second right now in preseason, yeah, right? Stanford in the top is twenty-five, yeah. right? But um, okay. in the Big Ten, they are the preseason favorites. We will tell you about that. Husker football team was working out again this morning, Coach Frost, and I think this is important. I've told this to some folks. One of the biggest hurdles, I think, for them to get over is not to quit and to let up when yeah. things eventually go south in a game. And uh, he touched on that earlier this week. Also, as a uh, Denver Broncos fan since 1981, I am not happy with what I saw on Saturday night in the <laughs> preseason game. I'm not happy with how things are going with that franchise. But there is some news coming out of Bronco camp as uh, Paxton Lynch... What a bust of a draft pick. He has now been reduced to third-string quarterback. Chad Kelly, who is a nephew to Jim Kelly, uh, he's played well for the Broncos. They moved him up to number two. We'll hear from Coach Joseph about that. There you go. They need to find a signal caller there. It's been a while. paid all that money for Case Keenum, and uh, I don't know. Didn't really. (laughs) Oh, well. Hope springs eternal, I guess, at the preseason. Speaking of lots of hope, Bob Brogan, what do you got for us? You got some hope for us? Well, U.S. stocks are moving a little bit higher today. Retailers and smaller companies are making some of the biggest gains. Also, um, there have been concerns about the Turkish currency. It seems to be stabilizing somewhat, whatever stabilizing means. And Coke is buying a stake in body armor. And so those are the stories that uh, we're following right now. All right, very good. That's all coming up on Midday. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. A lot of green on the screen for corn, winter wheat, and soybeans as we talk with Mike Zuzlo of Global Commodity Analytics. Mike, a story out about Argentine farmers. Can you tell us more about this and what it, why it uh, you know, even should be uh, mentioned, I guess? Well, I think it's centered around the tax that the Argentine government has agreed to keep in place on Argentine soy exports, and they're agreeing with the IMF. It's a mandate by the International Monetary Fund as part of their bailout, so it's real important to us because it either keeps Argentine supplies of beans and meal at home in Argentina or it gets them out on the export market. And it's still not clear to me which way it's going, Dewey, because I've heard both things. Earlier this morning, Newswires reported that the Argentine government had stopped cutting its export tax. If it stops cutting its export tax, that means it gets less competitive and more supplies stay at home. That would then be price-friendly on the global market. I think that's what the trade thinks is happening because meals up 2.6% 
and we've got rain coming in the radar screens and on the models. So, but I, I will have to say, about 15 minutes ago, I talked to a Reuters reporter for an interview, and they said that they were completely cutting out their export tax. That's a lot different than stopping uh, the, to cut the, the export tax and keeping the export tax in place. In fact, if they cut their export tax completely, that would give Argentine farmers a reason to sell. That's what the Argentine farmers want, is that tax removed. And that would mean more exports into the world marketplace. And that would mean, to me, Chicago prices would be lower, not higher. So I think this is a situation that it's going to take a few hours to work through still. Is there another factor here why soy meal has uh, jumped the way it has? Well, yeah, I mean, Argentina is the big dog in the meal market, especially into the European market. And remember back in January when we found out that soybeans in Argentina were going to be tight, the meal market was the first to react. The Argentine meal took the uh, Rotterdam prices up sharply. The Rotterdam price is essentially the global marketplace price for imported meal, and that's what gave us this super strong surge in that January, February, March time period. I think this is what we're trying to lay the groundwork for technically, but here again, you've got brand new 11-month highs in the dollar, and you've got a situation where there is rain on the forecast for the next five days. So can you really replicate what we had back in January? And That's a big question mark. We've uh, had varying opinions on the move forward as far as crude oil, and does that figure into the market today? It does, because China came out with some really negative economic data last night. The, the, The urban investment, industrial output, retail sales all came in below forecasts. In fact, that urban investment, that growth was at a record low, and industrial output was also, if I remember right, a multi month low. China is slowing down, it's slowing down substantially and the dollar continues to go up because of the tariffs, and the dollar is becoming more and more of a safe haven. The higher the dollar goes, the more pressure it's going to create on the copper and on the crude oil, in my view. So I'd be very watchful of that as well. Any big news surrounding the cattle or hog futures markets? The big thing I see is the packer margins, Dewey. When you look at both of them, beef expected to be almost $166 a head and and pork around $50 a head. When both of them are that high, I think it's been a few months since we've seen both of them look that good. So packers should be very active this week based upon that. Thanks. Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics. You can get a free two-week trial subscription to Mike's newsletter by mentioning the Rural Radio Network when you go to globalanalytics.biz. Again, we've talked with Mike Zuzalo of Global Commodity Analytics on the Rural Radio Network. Time for us to take a look at our regional weather and our ag forecast and all that stuff. So we bring in Paul. And, Paul, thanks for coming in again. And uh, it, it's an interesting little system we have here. To When you first look at the radar, it's weird to see stuff moving west. Yes, uh, it's on the backside of this area of low pressure. Uh, circulation with an area of low pressure is counterclockwise. Uh-huh. So we're seeing the circulation of that right over central Kansas. So that is pushing this rain currently over south central and southeast Nebraska to the northwest. A lot of, uh, for the most part, it's moving to the northwest, and not a whole lot of movement since this low is slowly moving off towards east. But most of the rain currently over south central and southeast Nebraska, and most of it to the south of the interstate right yeah, now. Yeah, it looks that way. And Susan was mentioning that they had gotten quite a bit of rain there where she uh, was at. Too, I so. would believe it because mm-hmm. we are seeing some strong thunderstorms right now uh, towards the Utica area, and also some rains that continue to. Uh, fall at a pretty good clip in between David City and Seward and also some decent rain south of Sutton and also to the south of Nelson but most of us with some light to moderate rain over south central and southeast Nebraska once again most of it to the south of the interstate to right near the Kansas border and a lot of this rain having a hard time making it past Highway 183, which goes through Ansley, mm-hmm. uh, Holdridge, and Elm Creek, and also Alma and Phillipsburg. That rain just not move, making it much farther to the west than Highway 183. So a lot of the rain, once again, south central and southeast Nebraska. Some light rain to the north of the interstate from about Kearney up to about Loop City and Grand Island, and also towards the Ords, Balding, and Albion area. Most of our temperatures in the rainy and cloudy areas in the upper 60s to low 70s, but over north central into west central Nebraska, And northwest Kansas and northeast Colorado, those temperatures in the 70s, as warm as 78 right now at North Platte and 80 
at O'Neill. That compares with 71 at Grand Island and 69 currently in Hastings and 68 where they're getting some decent rains and they are continuing to fall in the holdage area. That rain and thunderstorm chance will remain in the forecast today from west central to east Nebraska and also central and east Kansas, but pretty much only about to Highway 183 and points towards the east. It's in response to some low pressure that's lifting northeast out of central Kansas, and that low pretty much centered right over Salinas, so the circulation around that, pushing that rain once again to the northwest over south-central and southeast Nebraska. The rain will end from west to east this afternoon and the evening. You have a good chance of staying dry along west of the line from Ogallala to Goodland, and you can probably push that dry line a little bit farther towards the east, maybe to about Lexington and Broken Bow and to about the Colby, Kansas area for staying dry for the most part today. Clouds tonight will prevent temperatures from dropping off too much on the backside of that low. That area, of, An area of high pressure will move in for tomorrow, bringing some sunshine and also a brief break from the rain. Then thunderstorm chances quickly return with more low pressure out of the northwest for tomorrow night. The thunderstorm chances expected to continue into Thursday night. This doesn't look like a big rainmaker with this system. Then that low will move off towards east. Uh, better chances arrive with another area of low pressure some thunderstorm chances Saturday night into Monday, and that does include some likely chances Sunday and Sunday night. Temperatures will remain on the cool side, about 5 to 10 degrees cooler than normal all the way through Monday. That cooler temperature forecast looks to last for a while. The long-term forecast indicates below normal temperatures for Nebraska, Kansas, and much of the nation's midsection for Sunday through August 27th, and that would include the first Four days of the Nebraska State Fair, late August daytime highs in central Nebraska, usually in the low to mid-80s with average overnight lows and the low 60s. With the cooler conditions, also increased rain chances above normal rainfall forecast for Nebraska and Kansas Sunday through the 27th. Weather factors driving the markets include more seasonal and beneficial weather in the Midwest and favorable rain for the southern plains. Rain is overspreading right now the drought-affected areas of Missouri. That rain largely too late for the corn, but should benefit the pastures and late-developing summer crops such as soybeans. Persistent summer heat in the west will reach the northern plains by the middle of the week and the Great Lakes by the end of the week. The next five days, some of the heaviest rain expected to fall from the central plains into the south and east Corn Belt. That forecast will continue beneficial weather for Midwest crops. Temperatures seasonal to below normal. Moist soil, uh, most soil moisture levels right now adequate, and periodic showers continue to be in the forecast. Also in the Midwest or in the Southern Plains, some moderate to heavy rain moved through the Southern Plains last night. Some additional rain expected over the next several days. That rain, along with some cooler temperatures, will favor the filling of summer crops. In addition, soil moisture benefit will build up for the upcoming planting season for winter wheat. The Northern Plains will continue to see above normal temperatures and below normal rain. Those conditions favoring the spring wheat harvest, but also stressing the filling of corn and soybeans. The Canadian prairie temperatures more seasonal this next week, but very little rain expected, and that dryness will continue to stress their crops in that region. All right, very good. You know, Paul, I remember when I was in school, and I'm guessing you were in Cara, right? And you were Centura, in Centura, yeah. And I remember being ready when you was first started school for the heat <laughs> schedule. Remember, you had the heat schedule. If it got hot, you got out of school early. Exactly, of course. Well, we, yeah, um, later years, of course, I luckily had air conditioning. Yeah. And all the way back to second grade, we didn't start school till the day after Labor Day. Oh, that's true. That's, <laughs> man, we're, we're old, aren't we? Yeah, we're there were old. very few days we actually, I, I don't remember very many days getting out Not because very awesome. of the heat, yeah. I do remember, actually, though, one of the schools I taught at, we actually had a heat schedule. for the, So the first couple of weeks, you got out early. I was already planned. So <laughs> not anymore. Not with this one. It's going to be nice and cool, it looks like. So yeah, at exactly. least to start school. So, Paul, where do you go to check on your weather? It's at gayrvn.com. Dewey Nelson with a market update on the Rural Radio Network as the rally continues in winter wheat, soybeans, and corn. September corn, 361 and three quarters, up five and a quarter. December, 376, up five and a half. March, 387 and a quarter, up five and a quarter. August soybeans went off the board today, 861 and three quarters, up eight and a quarter. September trading, 868, up 10 and three quarters. November, 879 and three quarters, up 11. September Chicago wheat, 538 and three quarters, up five and a quarter. December, 558 and a quarter, up four and three quarters. September Kansas City 546 up five and a quarter. December 572 and a half up five and a half. 
Minneapolis, September 591 and a quarter, down one and a half. December 609, down one and a quarter. Live cattle now trading higher with August 107.77 up 57. October 108.50 up 35. December 112.32 up 32. February's up 25 at 116 even. April 117.27 up 2. Feeder cattle a little bit lower. September 148.42 down 2. October 148.45 down 50. November down 42 at 149 even. January 147.80 down 35. The lean hog trade is higher, except the August contract running off, going off the board 52 lower at $55 even. October hogs 51.87 up 22. December 48.77 up 20. The Dow Jones 30 industrial average currently 120 higher at 25,308. NASDAQ composite up 49 at 7,868. S&P 500 up 14 at 2,840. You work in acres, not hours. Your tailgate is your boardroom. You're a mechanic, accountant, boss, buyer and broker. All before noon on a good day. You need a partner focused on your fields, your growing conditions, and your bottom line. At LG Seeds, results count. Relationships matter. And bold choices pay off. Take a stand and choose a new breed of seed company. Get down to business at lgseeds.com. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need our help with your water, your air, your food. You're going to need our determination, our compassion. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. And we promise we'll be there when you need us. Today, 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. Support us at 4-H.org. USDA adds new tools, resources to Farmers.gov to aid producers. I'm Shaylee Peters joining you now on the Rural Radio Network. Let's take a midday look at your ag news for a Tuesday. Agricultural producers have new resources available to them to prepare for and recover from impacts of natural disasters on the U.S. Department of Agriculture's new website, Farmers.gov. The site has updated tools and information to help agricultural producers identify the right programs and make decisions for their operations. Agriculture is a risky business, said Agriculture Secretary Sonny Perdue. At USDA, we're here to help you prepare, recover, and build long-term resilience to natural disasters. Whether you want to visit your local USDA service center or visit our new Farmers.gov, we want to help you get the help you need. New additions to the site being built for farmers by farmers include a Farmers.gov portal for secure business transactions and a disaster assistance discovery tool. The discovery tool walks producers through the five questions to help them identify personalized results of what USDA disaster assistance programs meet their needs. The Farmers.gov portal is the first edition of a secure dashboard for producers to manage program applications and other USDA documents. And the recent one-year extension to the Electronic Logging Device, or ELD, waiver for livestock haulers and live insect haulers recently passed by the Senate has caused mixed reactions throughout the trucking industry. The advocates for highway and auto safety and the Trucking Alliance have been longtime opponents to any waivers to the mandate. Earlier in the year, the advocates said in a press release on their website that ELDs are a common-sense, life-saving technology and any attempts to bow to special interests in the lawful enforcement of the ELD rule would only make our roads more dangerous. Along with the Alliance Advocates has been a strong early supporter of requiring ELDs in all trucks and of the ELD rule. ELDs are a known remedy for the well-documented public safety hazard of driver fatigue, said the advocates. On the flip side, both the United States Cattlemen's Association and the National Cattlemen's Beef Association support the ELD extension. 
In a recent post, after the Senate passed an amendment that would extend the ELD waiver for livestock haulers by one year, the USCA said this does not mean that we have one more year of exemption, just that the opportunity is now available to get an additional year-long exemption. The budget bills still have a few more hurdles yet to face this year, including the president's desk. Truck drivers in all segments have said in various articles that the ELD is not the problem, that the current hours of service rule is. Many have said being stuck in traffic, slowed by road construction, and or sitting at a final destination waiting to be unloaded counts against the HOS clock. Valuable time becomes wasted, and with the ELD clock running, they cannot make up those hours. And finally, good to excellent condition ratings for both corn and soybeans declined just slightly last week. According to the USDA's National Ag Statistics Service weekly crop progress report that came out yesterday afternoon, nationwide 70% of corn was rated good to excellent as of August 12th, and that's down a percent from the previous week. NAS estimated that 73% of the corn was in the dough stage as of Sunday. And soybean condition also dropped slightly to 66% good to excellent last week, also down a percentage point from the previous week. And NAS estimated that 96% of soybeans were blooming as of last Sunday. That's a look to your ag news. You're listening to the World Radio Network. Late season hail damage has been the talk of the town since August 6th. And that town I'm talking about is Utica, Nebraska. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Alex Wojcicki reporting. The day after that hailstorm hit, the National Weather Service reported that Utica suffered from one-and-a-half-inch hail. Nebraska Extension later held public meetings for producers in Utica and Central City to educate them on what to expect with crop progression and options going forward. At the meeting in Utica, Jenny Reese, a Nebraska Extension educator, said the storm was 50 miles long and in places 5 to 10 miles wide. Reese gave us a visual of the hail damage she saw in the Utica area. The blessing in this is that, or at least that's what I've been trying to explain to everyone here, is that the hail damage actually occurred a little bit later in the season, so it was hard dough to early dent corn. And so there's not as much moisture in those kernels compared to what we've seen in previous hailstorms, like 2013 and 2014 where when you have more moisture in those kernels, grain mold is the biggest concern going forward. And so what we're seeing so far is, yes, there is grain mold starting to occur, mostly fusarium, also diplodia, but not to the extent that we've seen um, covering the ears like we saw in 2013 and 14. So really just talking about the things to look for, the questions to ask crop insurance adjusters and agents when they come out in the field, questions about cover crops as well, and and also just answering questions about silage and, and um, grazing, things like that. One main focus of the meeting was to educate producers on options going forward. Reese explained a few of those options. Some of these fields, we've got ears broken off. We've got plants broken off below the ears, some above, some a mixture of things. We've got wind um, in addition to hail in some of these fields. Um, so if the crop insurance decides to leave the field for harvest, then there's questions about, okay, um, is there even an option for getting maybe a cover crop in here too or not? Because we've already got palmer and water hemp germinating and we can continue to see that up through mid-September. Are there options for, okay, if they take it to harvest or if they don't take it to harvest, if it's totaled out, what are their options for maybe silage or maybe putting in a cover crop? And um, so we talked about those options too. Justin McMeckin, Nebraska Cropping Systems Specialist, also presented at this meeting. He explained a few things insurance adjusters will be looking for in cornfields. Well, first of all, they're not going to be in your field right now. Uh, I would guess for the next couple of days, they might start to be out there with you know this August 6th storm. They want to wait that 7 to 10 days. 
Uh, depending on the stage of the crop, they're going to be looking potentially at defoliation, but they're probably going to be pushing for what the actual grain content is out there, how much grain is left in that field. Uh, they're going to use this wet content basis, which is the milk line within the kernel. They're going to be pulling grain from a certain unit of area based on the yield. And then they're going to be taking that determining yield that's left out there for that payout that could potentially occur later. If there are complicating factors like plants broken off or fallen over or there looks like things may progress, they may defer that evaluation. Uh, So they may ask you to leave strips in that field uh, for an evaluation even later in the season. McMeckin then touched on what adjusters will be looking for in soybean fields. Soybeans even more complicated. Uh, you know, R7, R8, they totally changed their evaluation. They'd be just looking at, at kernel content. We're kind of in that gray area between the two. Uh, they're going to be using a factored basis on the amount of live plants that are left out there. They may be using node cuts and determining defoliation. Some of the plants I saw today have some pretty high amounts of defoliation and node cuts. Uh, so that'll help, help the adjuster, won't help the farmer any, but uh, that, that'll be what they're looking at in terms of evaluating those plants. Both Reese and McMeckin encourage producers and others to visit UNL's Hail No website for more information. Reporting from Utica, I'm Alex Wojcicki, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Time for us to take a quick look at sports. Here's Jason. Hey, thanks, Scott. Well, defending NCAA and co-Big Ten champion Nebraska has been chosen as a conference favorite for this upcoming volleyball season, as voted on by the Big Ten coaches. The Huskers will start this campaign ranked second in the country after claiming their fifth national title last season. The Huskers topped the preseason poll for the second time in three years. Ninth-ranked Wisconsin was picked to finish second, while Minnesota was tapped third. Penn State was voted to finish fourth. Well, the Husker football team was back on the practice field this morning as they continue to get set for the season. Head coach Scott Frost says he's looking for guys who won't back down when things get tough. I got the impression watch, walking, watching from afar that last year when things got tough, the team kind of shut it down and quit, and they'd tell me the same thing. Uh, I don't want guys that'll quit. I want guys when things get hard uh, that they're going to push through and be even better in those situations. The Huskers will kick off the season on September 1st at home against Akron. Kearney High School has officially become the last Class A school to add baseball. Last night its school board unanimously voted to add the sport following a $300,000 donation from New West Sports Medicine. Now this summer the board approved a motion to form a co-op between Kearney High and Kearney Catholic. With that big donation it looks like there will be baseball in Kearney next spring. Former first-round pick Paxton Lynch has been demoted to third-string quarterback in the Mile High City. His demotion has a lot to do with his poor play, and it also has to do with the surprising performance of Chad Kelly. Head coach Vance Joseph talks about what went into this decision. It's a performance league, you know, and everything we do, it's graded and it's counted. You know, and Chad, it, it's really more about what Chad's done, honestly. You know, and Chad's played well. He's played with poise. He's played with confidence. You know, he... He moved the ball for us on Saturday night. So Kelly is a nephew of former Buffalo Bills and NFL Hall of Famer Jim Kelly. Lynch was beaten out by seventh-rounder Trevor Simeon in each of the last two summers and has now fallen behind another seventh-round draft pick. And Ronald Acuna Jr. is the youngest player to homer in four straight games during the live ball era. That's according to ESPN. He'll go for five in a row when Atlanta hosts Miami tonight. Acuna homered to lead off both ends of Monday's doubleheader against the Marlins, making him the first to do that since Baltimore's Brady Anderson back in 1999 and just the fourth to do it overall. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Partly cloudy skies tonight in Nebraska, lows around 60 degrees. I'm Dave Schroeder. Nebraska has carried out its first execution since 1997 with the lethal injection of Carrie Dean Moore, who fatally shot two cab drivers almost four decades ago. Moore was executed this morning with a combination of four drugs that had never been used before in an execution in the United States, including the powerful opioid fentanyl. The execution also marked the first lethal injection in Nebraska. Moore was one of the nation's longest-serving death row inmates. His death comes about three years after Nebraska lawmakers abolished the death penalty, only to have it reinstated the following year through a ballot initiative partially financed by Republican Governor Pete Ricketts. A man was arrested after officers seized heroin found with him in downtown Omaha. The Nebraska State Patrol says an investigator became suspicious of criminal activity after encountering the man Monday morning. 
Roughly 24 pounds of heroin was found after a search of a bag that he had with him. The heroin's street value was estimated at more than $400,000. The man was arrested on suspicion of possession for sale. A mistrial has been declared in the case against an inmate who had pleaded not guilty to murder in connection with the 2017 prison uprising in southeast Nebraska. The trial of 27-year-old Eric Ramos ended Monday after the judge learned that three prison investigators, who were all witnesses in the case, met over the weekend in violation of a court order. A construction worker has died after a steel grate fell on him in northeast Lincoln. Police officer Angela Sands says a worker died Monday morning around 11.30 after a steel grate that was being used to separate different materials tipped over. Kansas election officials are set to continue reviewing provisional ballots as the two candidates in Kansas's tight GOP primary for governor dig in for a long battle. Yesterday, more than two-thirds of Kansas's counties reviewed provisional ballots, which are given at the polls to voters whose eligibility is in question. Secretary of State Chris Kobach led Governor Jeff Collier by about 200 votes when the vote counting stopped yesterday. Italy's transport minister says the collapse of the highway bridge in Genoa was unacceptable and added that if negligence played a role, whoever made the mistake must pay. Minister Danilo Tanili says the company that has the commission to operate the section of highway, including the bridge, said that no maintenance work was underway at the time of the collapse and that maintenance work was up to date. Storm Center coverage 24-7. Catch it on air, Twitter, Facebook, and online at krvn.com. In the News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. Good afternoon on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. Yesterday we learned about the York Ag Education Program for the middle school and the high school. It's the 2018 Outstanding Ag Ed Department Award recipient hosted by the National Agriculture Education Association. Co-teachers Jason Hirschfeld and Cal Williams talked to us about how they won the award and what their program looks like today. But every program has a beginning, and Cal Williams brings us more. Our Ag Ed program uh, actually started back in 1917, or that's the earliest that we can actually find a record of ag classes being offered. I've been at York 22 years, um, uh, Jason, seven years. I look back when I first started here at York, uh, we had some animals out in the hallway and we had some in my classroom, but uh, the last seven or eight years is when our animal science area really took off. But it's built over time. That's the thing that everybody needs to realize. That. I mean, the Southeast Community College welding credit uh, was something we had on on the front burner for a number of years and when that came about. And a lot started with uh, our NCTA program with Dr. Lucas when he came on board. Mm -hmm. While national awards and success are great for the York Ag Education Program, success of current and former students is what truly inspires teachers Jason Hirschfeld and Cal Williams. We have eight kids just through the animal science class. We have eight kids majoring in animal science or animal behavior, like University of Nebraska, Iowa State, K-State. Six of those kids are non-traditional farm kids, so their exposure to animal science came through this course. And I guess that's something I prided myself on with for Cal and I. We have several kids who wanted to be a veterinarian, but after taking the course, they realized Maybe they don't want to be a veterinarian, and I think that's equally as successful. You know, a couple of kids, just a quick shout-out, like Josie Lee. She's yeah. a, a student, wanted to possibly be a vet, and she was a sophomore in our class, and she didn't know what to do. And Cal and I assigned her her own independent project of trying to recreate this five-and-a-half-pound rabbit and, and, and breed through inbreeding and line breeding and recreate that rabbit at three pounds, have the same markings and characteristics. She journaled and tracked every birth. We took her to rabbit shows. She would purchase the smallest rabbit possible. And she actually accomplished that by the time she graduated. And, and we have a cool journal. So that's kind of a cool little story about some independent type stuff. You, you know, Dalton Overmeyer, he just recently got selected, not selected, but he's going to do his master work at North Carolina University, and he's going to serve as their livestock judging coach. This last year, a couple of other students, Kate Queering and Rebecca, uh, well, to me, she's still a spader, but they're both out teaching ag now. Went through a program, and this they're going into their second year of teaching. So uh, we've actually got some uh, students that have followed uh, 
in our footsteps. And what I think is truly awesome is we have kids like Bryce Danielson who just graduated but has been an amazing leader and, and just had been outstanding for our chapter. And yet he continues to want to ask questions and, and volunteer. And, and here he's leading in to go to college and he's going to help wire monitors in our classrooms. We installed cameras so we can see all three of our laboratories in greenhouse and in our classroom. How cool is that, that we have these students willing to come back in, volunteer help, ask questions, and just truly make an impact on our program? Even with the success that the York FFA and Ag Education Program has seen, both teachers still have ideas and are looking to the future to continue to build the program. We would love to develop an entrepreneurship center where kids could actually develop and market their own products and have an avenue to sell them to the public. We would like to have somewhat of a storefront on the the school campus if that could be a possibility on weekends. Maybe it would be open on Saturday mornings. But again, that takes a lot of money. Right now we're searching for some storage. (laughs) So we're we're looking at trying to get some buildings brought in that we could use for storage because with all these activities in the animal lab and the greenhouse, there's a lot of supplies that we have to uh, find a home for. (laughs) And we just started with... The, this spring, uh, and this is new for us, but an aquaculture unit will be raising tilapia. We'll actually be getting the fish here in the next uh, three weeks. But uh, that came about with some help from the York County Corn Growers, Family Foundation, our own school. Yeah, and a student actually heard Cal and I talking about this, and he actually wrote the grant himself. Yes. And submitted it after we, we reviewed it, obviously, but he wrote the grant. We, ex- we won. And we went to our administration on purchasing this aquaculture slash hydroponics unit. In fact, they got some additional support and we were able to increase the size of the unit that we did purchase. Even with the greatest plans, there can still sometimes be limitations. We got some ideas. <laughs> the, the problem is, is there's only two of us and we're teaching a lot of courses with, and handling a lot of students. Some industries keep their secrets to success closed, but the York FFA and Ag Education Program is an open book, and they invite you to follow along with them as they continue to expand and grow their program. So York FFA does have a Facebook page, so definitely they can like us or follow us on on that page. We do have a Twitter account as well, and we also have York Animal Lab on YouTube, where we will live stream the births of our animals. We uh, actually, when the sow farrowed, um, the kids artificially inseminated her, and we brought her back into farrow. We actually had 2,400 people viewing the birthing of that the litter of pigs. We do a number of tours, especially for other schools and administrators uh, that want to see what we're doing and, and look how we've developed it. Uh, every, every program is going to be unique depending on their facilities and what they have available. Probably the most important thing we can share um, with with other schools and that is that it develops over time and it develops to the strengths of uh, the particular uh, ag instructors that are that are dealing with the program. Thank you again to instructors Jason Hirschfeld and Cal Williams for giving us a glimpse inside the York Middle School High School Ag Education and FFA program. Again, the 2018 Outstanding Ag Ed Department Award recipient, an award hosted by the National Agriculture Educators Association. This is the Rural Radio Network. Stocks are posting gains with the midday business report for Tuesday. I'm Bob Brogan. Stocks are rallying as worries about Turkey's currency crisis ease. Retailers and smaller companies are making some of the biggest gains. Global markets have taken two days of losses as investors worried that the country's troubles might spread. The S&P 500 fell a combined 1.1% Friday and yesterday as investors worried that Turkey's financial woes would affect other countries. Tapestry, the parent company of Coach and Kate Spade, jumped after its fourth quarter results surpassed analyst estimates. Other retailers reported their results as well. Advance Auto Parts jumped 7.3% after its report. The Turkish lira stabilized as officials from Turkey and the U.S. said the countries are in talks to ease diplomatic tensions which have resulted in high tariffs on Turkish steel and aluminum. Coca-Cola is buying a minority ownership stake in sports drink maker Body Armor for an undisclosed amount, marking the latest move by the world's biggest beverage maker to diversify its offerings. The Atlanta company says the deal will allow it to increase its stake in Body Armor, Body Armor will get access to Coca-Cola's bottling system, which the companies say could increase distribution. Coca-Cola also makes the sports drink Powerade, while rival PepsiCo makes the more popular Gatorade. Tesla is forming a special committee to evaluate proposals to take the company private one week after CEO Elon Musk said he was considering it. The committee, made up of three independent directors, says it has not received any formal proposal from Musk. 
Musk tweeted on August 7th that he had funding secured to buy Tesla shares at $420 per share. South Korea will ban driving recalled BMWs that haven't received safety checks following dozens of fires the German automaker has blamed on a faulty exhaust gas component. With the Business Report, I'm Bob Brogan. Hi, this is Jim Baldonado with The Home Agency. We continue to get a number of calls on LRP or livestock risk protection, and as over the last couple months, the market has been moving up about $20 per hundred or so. Remember, when purchasing an LRP contract, you must do so after 3.30 p.m. in the afternoon and before 9 a.m. the next morning. Things that you need to look for is the expected ending value and the coverage level. We always look for coverage level to be near 100% or anything over 99% is good. Once you know the coverage level, you will then know your coverage price. Then you will need to decide how far out you want to go. So for example, type 1 calves up to 599, you may want to go out 13, 17, or maybe even 21 weeks. Where if you're thinking of backgrounding them until maybe the first of the year, you may pick a January or a February time frame for cattle up to 900 pounds, whether they're steers or heifers. I have had a few people say LRP just doesn't work and it didn't pay me the last time I bought it. Well, the reason it didn't, you didn't collect, it's because the market went up and you collected out of the market. LRP isn't any different than any other insurance. If you have a loss on the LRP, that means the market moved against you. You would rather collect a higher price at the time that you sell your animals and let your LRP expire worthless. So continue to watch these markets and give us a call so we can go over what needs to be done before you decide to write a contract at 10 o'clock some evening. For more information, call home. The home agency, that is, 800-245-4241. Good afternoon. Dewey Nelson with a market report on the Rural Radio Network. Shortly before the close, we're higher in corn, soybeans, and winter wheat futures, even bringing back the spring wheat to green levels as well. September corn, 362 and three quarters, up six and a quarter. December, 376 and three quarters, also up six and a quarter. September soybeans, 866 and three quarters, up nine and a half. November, 878 and a half, up nine and three quarters. January, 890 and a quarter, up nine and a half. September Chicago wheat, 539 and a quarter, up five and three quarters. December now, 559, up five and a half. Kansas City, September, 544. December, 570 and a quarter, both up three and a quarter. Minneapolis, September's turned around, now 594, up one and a quarter. Well, the livestock futures settled mixed, with live cattle higher, most of the feeder contracts lower, and most lean hog contracts higher. August live cattle settled 107.97, up 77. October 108.72, up 57. December 112.42, up 42. February 116.15, up 40. September feeders 148.67, that was up 22. But October down 5 at 148.90. November 149.25, down 17. January 147.95 down 20. The August lean hog contract settled at noon today, 52 lower at $55 even. October lean hogs at 51.85 was up 20, and December was up 7. Wall Street this hour. The Dow up 132 at 25,320. NASDAQ up 47 at 7,867. S&P 500 up 16 at 2,841. Farm Credit Services of America isn't just a lender that knows agriculture. We're a lender that serves agriculture. It's everything we do. So along with attractive rates, you'll find ag-friendly terms, services, and financial tools made just for you. You can also get the power of ownership, a voice in how we work, a stake in what we do, and a share of our net return. Call us. We're Farm Credit Services of America. Agriculture works here. In today's fast-paced world of agriculture, producers need accurate market information they can trust. Our program, The Fontenelle Final Bell, gives you a chance to ask the experts your marketing questions. I'm Susan Littlefield with the Rural Radio Network. Join us for the Fontenelle Final Bell podcast each trading day as we dig deeper into the factors shaping the day's market activity. Tweet your questions to RRN Markets and catch the Fontenelle Final Bell podcast updated each weekday afternoon at ruralradio.com. You can also search Rural Radio on iTunes and tune in. Next, we're going to get a review of the livestock futures trade with Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Joe? 
Yeah, pretty quiet day in the uh, livestock. Uh, we do finish higher in the uh, live cattle, mixed in the uh, feeder cattle, uh, a little higher in the front end and a little lower in the back end of the feeders. And uh, I guess you'd call it mixed in the in the hogs with the August uh, contract expiring at noon. It was lower, but the rest of the hogs uh, a little bit higher. But a very quiet, uh, quiet day, a very... Uh, uh, Nondescript today. Uh, a little short covering, I think, happening in the uh, cattle. Uh, we did have some cattle trade, uh, but uh, uh, yesterday, but uh, very, very few, and not very much interest by the packers today. So, uh, just some short covering, trying to uh, kind of get away from this oversold uh, situation that we have in it in the cattle. The feeders uh, responding a little bit uh, to the uh, corn uh, being higher today, and uh, that kind of kept uh, some pressure on the back months. Over in the hogs, uh, a little bit higher in the uh, back months. Uh, just some uh, ideas that uh, maybe we've reached a bottom in the uh, hogs but uh, because of the discount, but cash was weak again. Cutouts were lower also. Uh, so it was kind of a mixed day in the uh, livestock. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Total cattle slaughter first two days this week has been estimated 237,000, same as last week, 5,000 more than a year ago. Hog slaughter at 935,000, well above last week and a year ago. This is the Rural Radio Network. The Rural Futures Institute at the University of Nebraska has a bold vision. They'd like rural America to unleash its full potential in a variety of ways to ultimately create explicit value for communities. The Institute does face challenges, though. In 2018, it was named as part of the University of Nebraska system budget cut. But with a new interim executive director, the Institute looks towards the future. But with a new interim executive director, the Institute looks toward the future. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskate reporting. Dr. Connie Reimers-Hild was named Interim Director following Chuck Schroeder's retirement. She previously served as Associate Executive Director and Chief Futurist. She recently joined us in the Nebraska Soybean Mowers Studio at Nebraska Innovation Campus. So we're one of the four institutes that is university-wide. We work with our campus in Omaha. UNO, the Medical Center there, the Lincoln Campus, the Kearney Campus, and of course Nebraska Extension as well. And our role is to really harness that intellectual capacity so that we can help our rural communities thrive. Let's talk about your new role as Interim Executive Director for the Rural Futures Institute and your vision. We've mentioned a couple of the different programs you all are doing throughout the year, but where do you see Rural Futures Institute going into, into the future? We've really talked about three pillars moving forward, technology being one. We want whatever we do to benefit Nebraskans here. Um, but also rural-urban collaboration is a huge area of focus for us. The way we look at it is that we're all in this together as a state and even beyond. Um, because what we've learned is that people are really curious about rural. They want to be engaged, but they don't always know how. So rural-urban and asking better questions to, to sort of dispel some of the myths about rural. Um, some of the conversations we've had about technology are really interesting. So, for example, one conversation I had recently, people were like, well, I don't know, people in rural seem to be very nervous about the security. I'm not sure if they want to do the online learning. Is that something that we would you know, want to invest our resources in? I'm like, well, let's, let's talk about that. That's something everybody's nervous about. <laughs> and that's not just people. Those aren't people just in rural. Yeah. No, they're in urban as well. And the third pillar we've talked about is leadership. Thinking about as we want to build a positive, sustainable, and thriving future for rural, what type of future-focused leadership is that going to take, and how do we help support that? I know a challenge a lot of people saw with the Rural Futures Institute, or they saw the headlines, I, might, I should say, was there were budget cuts. The, the University of Nebraska faced that from the legislature, and uh, part of that was uh, one of the areas the university looked at uh, pulling back some of the funding was the Rural Futures Institute. Provide us an update where things stand today and how that affects some of the choices you all make into the future. Absolutely. We did sustain a very large budget cut, no doubt about it. Um, I think what that's given us an opportunity to do is think about where is our real focus area? What do we need to focus on? How do we niche down? And how do we add value? 
to Nebraska through the lens of rural in a different way than what we've done before. And so obviously there's going to have to be a little team building through that as well and re-engagement of the team. I mean, it's, it was a hard, long process, I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. Uh, very difficult. But at the same time, I think our team is very committed and determined. On the other side of that, the conversations I've had with high-level administrators you know, in the last couple of weeks have been very positive. And I think they're very excited about the future of the Rural Futures Institute, but also the, the prolific expanse and impact we can have on Nebraska through the Institute. That was Dr. Connie Reimers-Hild, an interim executive director of the Rural Futures Institute. I'm Bryce Duskett reporting on the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. Today was a day of a rally in uh, the grain and soybean futures, as well as soybean meal, as we visit with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. So a lot of it made the news today when it came to the rally. Yeah, I mean, the meal market is something that I, I wish would be a more of a focus when it comes to these bean negotiations because that is really the demanded product here. And nobody kind of tends to, to, to focus on that. And they'll say, well, you know, the U.S. isn't going to plant beans. or the, You know, we're going to buy all these beans from Brazil. It's like it doesn't matter. We still have a meal consumption that is exponentially higher every single year. We're, we're, we're just, it looks like a parabolic chart if you pull it back to the 90s. And the fact of the matter is that is what drives bean purchases. It's not the consumption of soybeans themselves. It's the turn into this product. So as long as China continues to buy or whoever is buying this meal, it's everyone really who feeds livestock, I don't see the market saying to the globe, stop planting soybeans. So maybe they're going to push all of this acreage into Brazil, and that's fine. That can happen. But then you put a lot of crop risk on Brazil. So when, you, when, you, when you're talking about forward pricing of soybeans, I, I think it's important to not get too bearish when you're looking at deferred contracts because you know, Brazil has to be incentivized to plant, and the U.S. essentially has to be incentivized as well. I mean, tomorrow we're going to get monster crush numbers from NOPA, and uh, I think that may be what's in the mind of the market here. But meal is the, is the story of the board um, between that and, and, you know, a good corn day. I, I'm pleasantly surprised going home today. I think when you look at the weather forecast and favorable weather for the corn crop, the only thing that was different was the one percentage point drop in the corn ratings for good to excellent. So might that have been a little bit of a catalyst for the December contract? A little bit, but I think you zero in more on Illinois. Illinois saw a 5% drop uh, week over week, and and things are starting to go a little backwards here. Um, You know, they set Illinois at 207 Per uh, mm-hmm. you know, per state average, and to hit that, I mean, we have to be firing on all cylinders. And I'm not saying that we won't do gangbusters compared to really what we've done a year ago, but to to think that hey, you know, maybe we don't drop a couple of bushels here as we go into the fall. We're very, very far ahead of where we normally are at this time. And historically, when you have an early harvest, you tend to not have that trend yield. Usually, that comes actually with a subtrend yield. But this year, I, I think. You know, to expect that the USDA stays at 178, the debate now is thinking maybe they fall to 177 or 176. Well, I got news for the buy side. Demand is one; it's almost 15 billion. Like we need every every acre to perform right now, and uh, corn could inch higher here in delivery. That would be a shocker to me, but it looks like it wants to. Thanks, John. John Payne, senior marketing analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to their website and get more information: DanielsAgMarketing.com. 